your Bibles and you want to turn with me to John's Gospel, we read the first uh, uh, eight verses at the beginning of our service. We're going to read on from verse 11 through to verse 18. And again, it's that continuing scene there in the garden. And it's entitled in my Bible here, Jesus Appears to Mary Magdalene. So John chapter 20 and verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at his head and the other at his foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Sight is a wonderful gift, isn't it? To be able to see, to be able to see the world around us. I know many of us wear glasses. I've always worn glasses since quite small. And it's the first thing I put on in the morning, it's the last thing I take off at night. But sight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? To see things around us, to be able to recognise people and things. And I guess we've all been in that situation, haven't we, where... Suddenly we've been stopped in our tracks and somebody's spoken. And for that moment, you know, we've not recognised them. Maybe it's been a little while since we've seen them. Uh, Maybe it's a different situation, a situation where we're not expecting to see them. And our thoughts are elsewhere. But in that moment, we're blinded and we think, now who are they? I know I'm getting older and it can become an age thing, but, you know, there you are. But who are they? (coughs) Sight. People can be in a particular situation, can't they? And they can all see something very differently. You get a, a group of football fans sitting behind the goal and there's a penalty declared and there'll be lots of different opinions. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Depending upon whose side they support and how they see the action in front of them. Well, 
In the accounts in John's Gospel that we've read this morning, we have three people who see very differently, who see the events of that first resurrection morning, of that Easter Sunday, as very different. We have Mary Magdalene, who was distressed, and she saw that the stone had been removed away from the entrance, as verse 1 tells us. She sees that, and then later on it says that she's crying there. She stands outside the tomb, crying and weeping. We have Peter, who's very puzzled by it all. He can't quite understand what is happening. He's looking and he's scratching his head. He saw the strips of linen lying there, verse 6 tells us. But he couldn't put the pieces together. Luke's Gospel, in chapter 24 and verse 12, it just says, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Questioning, searching, not fully understanding, puzzled by what was happening in front of his very eyes. For not only a matter of hours ago, he had stood there and he had seen Jesus crucified. And he'd seen him dead and buried. And now what confronts him is an empty tomb. What's it all about? John, the other disciple who goes with Peter to the tomb, we're not, too, we're not told it's John, but it's John there that we can understand that's, that this disciple, he's writing the gospel and he's modest in terms of his own part played in the story. Initially, he's hesitant about running into the tomb. He's hesitant about crossing that threshold. Peter doesn't have any of that reserve. He just dashes in. But finally, John steps across the threshold. And it says in verse 8, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. Three people see the same scene in the same moment almost and yet they're in three different places. Mary distressed and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance and now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept she bent over to look into the tomb there in verse 11. Mary Magdalene doesn't feature in John's Gospel until her appearance with the other Marys at the foot of the cross in chapter 19. John has told us nothing, nothing of the history of Mary Magdalene. We know very little, but there in Mark 16 verse 9 and Luke 8 verse 2, it says that Mary Magdalene was the one who Jesus cast seven demons out of. And so she had her own personal story. She had her own personal story of freedom. The freedom that Jesus had given to her. The dignity that Jesus had restored in her. That sense of value, that sense of worth, that sense of significance. When the whole world turned against her, Jesus was the one who lifted her up. Jesus was the one who had given her dignity. And she was there... She was there at the foot of the cross. 
She was there when they laid him in his, to- in his tomb. And she's there, first thing in the morning, there to anoint the body. Sunday was the first opportunity due to the Sabbath restrictions for the friends of Jesus to visit the tomb and fulfil the Jewish customs and responsibilities of those who mourned for the dead. The other Gospels have Mary in the company of other women for this early visit, Luke 24, 10. John does not deny that. Indeed, there is a hint in his recollection of others in Mary's statement in verse 2. We don't know where they have put him. We don't know where they've taken him. John simply concentrates on Mary Magdalene, just simply focuses in on this woman. Consider for a moment the effects upon Mary of what she sees compared to what she expected. Firstly, she expected a closed tomb. She's confronted with an open tomb. First, she expected a dead body, but now she's confronted with no body. The starkness of it. I remember a friend telling me the story of his grandfather from the, world, from the First World War. And uh, he used to tell this story, and he used to say that about uh, his grandfather's family received the telegram to say that sadly he had died in battle, in one of the battles in the World War, in the First World War. And of course, they went into grief, they went into sorrow, they went. They started to grieve and felt bereaved and bereft. Until one day, there was a knock at the door. They opened the door, and who stood there? Their grandfather, his grandfather, his grandfather. The account was not true. (laughs) He was alive. And for one moment there, they moved from absolute despair to elation there. To a grieving woman, these discoveries were traumatic and would quite simply have sent her spiraling into uncontrolled anguish. The dominant emotions would have been, her sense of loss would have been multiplied. Her feelings of despair would have been magnified. The intensity of the physical pain would have become unbearable. We don't know where they've taken him. Where is he? And she'd have been blinded by her tears. No wonder she jumps to the most obvious conclusion. Someone has stolen the body. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary could not see any further than her own pain and her own expectations. She could not see beyond her own experience to resurrection and transformation. She came to anoint a dead body. She could not conceive a risen saviour. But then there's Peter. He saw the strips of linen lying there. 
He went away wondering to himself what had happened according to Luke. Having made the startling discovery of the empty tomb, John tells us Mary came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. They in turn ran to the tomb. The other disciple, John, reached the tomb first, but did not go in. Peter, ever impulsive, shows no reticence about entering and went straight in, straight into the tomb. There he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. The sight of the grave clothes without the body must have seemed very strange. For had Mary been right and the body had been removed, if the body had been stolen, then this would have meant that the grave robbers had undressed the body. But who in their right minds would go around with a naked, dead body? It beggars belief, doesn't it? Peter himself, however, failed to make sense of what he saw. According to Luke, he went away wondering to himself what was happening. The empty tomb by itself did not convince The evidence of the resurrection was before his eyes, but he could not believe his eyes. He just did not know what to make of it. And Peter, who'd rushed into the tomb, through that action must have stimulated John to cross the threshold. And John, we records, he saw and believed. The reaction of John and the other disciple, however, was very different. When he eventually went inside the tomb, he saw and believed. Why should John believe and Peter apparently did not? Did he just see things differently? What did he see that made him believe and made Peter go away feeling troubled? Because it was in his seeing that he believed. That's how he puts it. That's his testimony. That's John's testimony in his own words. He saw and believed. The story suggests that there was not just an absence of a body, but the presence of the grave clothes, and in particular, their undisturbed condition. To John, the author of this account, the scene is obviously important. In general, it appears to be orderly and calm, lacking evidence of violence, snatch and grab. That either the authorities or some other grave, grave snatchers would have had. If you were taking a body, you wouldn't go in and make sure it was all neat and tidy afterwards, would you? It would just be a smash and grab. More significantly is the way the linen cloths were lying. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen, verse 7. What John appears to have seen was the clothes which had been wrapped around Jesus' body, lying as if still enfolding it. 
with the spices adhered to them and the head linen set separately to one side. Remember John tells us in chapter 19, verse 39, that Joseph and Nicodemus brought about 35 kilos of spices to wrap the body of Jesus in. They appear undisturbed. As though Jesus' body had simply passed through them in the same way that he later appeared in the locked room. John Stott uses a very vivid image to suggest that what they saw was like a discarded chrysalis from which the butterfly has emerged. Have you ever seen a discarded chrysalis? It's there. It's still in its shape, and yet it's a little bit sort of crumpled because the body that it contained is no longer there. And it's just simply broken as to where the butterfly has emerged. Very delicate, but there, still complete. Unlike Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead earlier in John's Gospel, he was really restored to physical life after death, And so he had to be freed from his grave clothes in chapter 11, verse 44. Jesus has emerged from the grave clothes without disturbing them, leaving them deflated and intact, like an empty chrysalis. What John saw was grave clothes neither touched nor folded, nor manipulated by human hands, They were in fact a discarded chrysalis from which a butterfly had had emerged. That which was perishable had become imperishable. The question for all of us on this resurrection morning is, what do we see? What do we see? Are we like Mary? Blinded by our own distress, consumed by our own situation and our own circumstances, unable to see beyond the limit of our own expectations or beyond what we want to see. Blinded by the pain of life's cruelty and unable to see the power of the transformation offered in the resurrection of Jesus. Or are we like Peter, simply prepared to take in the scene and stand there neither believing or disbelieving, an agnostic, not prepared to make that final step, caught wondering, questioning, what does this mean? Or are we John? Are we John? We see the empty tomb, We see the grave clothes lying there and we believe. Later on in this chapter, there was somebody else, a man called Thomas, who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. Again, it's sight. It's sight. Thomas wanted to see. 
And we have there the account of where Jesus comes and he stretches out his hands and he says, Thomas, put your finger in the print. Put your hand in my side. And we read that Thomas called him, my Lord and my God. He saw and believed. But Jesus had some very powerful words to say to Thomas there later on in this chapter because he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have not had that physical encounter that Mary Magdalene had, that Peter had, that John had, that Thomas had, that the disciples had. But this morning we see the evidence, we hear the evidence, and we believe. Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, is now raised again to the glory of God the Father. And he is Lord. Lord over all. Sin has been defeated. Satan has been broken. Death has been conquered. Life eternal has come. Because Jesus Christ died and is risen again. And the risen Christ is God's Amen to all that he did and all that he achieved at Calvary. And he calls us to believe, to put our trust. And to those who believe, as John puts it so much earlier in his Gospel, he says he gives the gift of eternal life. That we too, will know that when that time comes to enter the tomb, when the time comes for each and every one of us to, empty the, to, to enter the tomb, that is not the end. But beyond that is that doorway and gateway into God's presence. Why? Because Jesus Christ has gone before and broken the power and death of death for us all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John says, because you have not seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I say to you this morning, be blessed. God blesses you this morning. God blesses you with his presence, with his love, with his mercy, with his grace, with his resurrection power and the confidence that we have in Jesus. What better response, really, than to lift our voices in praise? I'm going to ask John and the team to come back.